There we go. So 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, we're doing 9 through 11 today. If you remember last time we had discussed, uh, uh, well, in this section that we're dealing with, it's Hannah's prayer to the Lord, uh, her giving her son to the Lord as she had promised. She was a barren woman and she had promised God that if he would give her a son, that she would give him back to the Lord all the days of his life. And so we've seen that she kept good on her word. When the boy was weaned, she brought him to Eli, to the priests, and she gave him to the priests to serve there in the tabernacle. Uh, and upon that, she had reflected back upon the prayer she had prayed earlier. Remember that God would give her a son, and she said, I was standing here in turmoil, right? In sadness, in grief, in bitterness was that Hebrew word, the same word that we had seen used with Naomi upon the losing of her two sons and her husband. And so she went from this bitter woman to this woman who was glad because God had answered her prayer. And so we've seen upon that, this great prayer that Hannah prays, this Magnificat of the Old Testament that we've talked about, comparing it to to Mary's prayer in the same way. We'll look at that today, where she uh, prays and exalts the Lord in all these things. The things that we had seen in her prayer, first of all, is the holiness of God. We'd spoken of God's holiness and how that's His set-apartness, how He's set apart in all these different ways, in His love, in His kindness, in His mercy, even in His wrath. God is holy. He is set apart. We'd then seen His omniscience, the fact in which God knows all things, And we have rooted that in what was spoken of later, and that is God's omnipotence. That is God's sovereignty. Right. God is the potentate. He is the ruler. He is the sovereign (coughs) of all things. And we had seen that the sense in which God knows all things is because God determines all things. That's the sense in which He knows them. We had worked down that linear path there. (coughs) And then we had seen... God's sovereignty. We had seen that Hannah had took two different things, if you remember last time, and she had compared them, and she had said in this thing and in that thing, and then what what was meant to uh, be conveyed to us was that in all things, God is sovereign. She had talked about the weak and the strong, the fed and the hungry, you recall, the one who's in the ash heap and the one who sits with princes. So in all those things and everything in between, We had seen that God is sovereign over it all. She had then rooted that in the fact that God has set the earth on its pillars. Not saying that the earth has pillars, but simply saying that the thing that sustains the earth is God Himself. Right. Is something that God has set in motion. So God has set the very earth on its pillars. That's how the earth can float in space, right? Scientists will give you all kinds of scientific mathematical equations for it, right? Some true, some not. But the, the core is is that God has set it in motion and that's why it is, you see. God has set these things about. God sustains these things. We've seen that in our text. God is not only the maker, but He is the sustainer. Not only of this world, but of us as well. And so, God owes us nothing. Now, coming off of that and ending out Hannah's prayer, we are going to see her wrap all this up, all of these things that she's describing we're going to see the, the, the point in which all these things come together. So, let's pick it up for the last time in Hannah's prayer here together in verse 9. 
She says this, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. So Hannah goes from this sovereignty of God. We know God is sovereign. We know that He set the world about the way it is. He set it in orbit. He set it in motion. Of course, He can guard the feet of His people. He can guard the feet of His faithful ones. You see, guarding the feet would be something that was vital in this day. Giving the imagery of battle, understanding that usually uh, people whose feet were taken out from under them didn't last long at all. You see, they didn't really have things like wheelchairs and things of that nature. The closest thing they had to it was cots that they could carry you around on. And so if your feet were damaged in ancient times, you were helpless, right? Even more so than today. There wasn't programs that could help you in physical therapy, really, and things like that. If your feet were damaged, then you pretty much lived a terrible life, if not death. And so what Hannah is saying is God will guard us from this. He will guard our feet, this vital part of us. He will guard our feet. We'll see more into that later. But secondly, I would like us to see that she describes a, uh, two groups of people. She's doing the same thing again that we've seen before. She's comparing these now two groups of people. We had seen before situations. Now we're seeing people. Two different types of people. God's faithful ones and the wicked. God's faithful ones and the wicked. That is, God's people and Satan's people. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus had said to some, your father is who? The devil. the devil. Right? He had said to others, that you are my sheep. Right? So we got God's people all through. And you can even see it in the Old Testament. You have people that are of God, people that are of the woman, and people that are of the serpent. You see, you can see that tracking all through the Old Testament and into the New. Now, I don't want us to overlook these things because as New Testament believers, we tend to read over things like this, right? And we don't let it bear upon us, right? right? It's not really an issue because we have Christ. But I just want us to think for a moment. She's giving us two groups of people and we soon put ourselves in the place of the faithful ones, do we not? Upon reading, you probably said to yourself, well, yes, I'm, I'm one of the faithful ones. Why? Because we have Christ. Right. We understand these things. But I want you to understand uh, this problem that Hannah would be posing to the people of her day. And it's that this. None are faithful. None are faithful. You see? She speaks of two different groups of people. The faithful ones uh, that will be rewarded, that will be guarded. And the wicked ones that will be punished. This is the problem. Especially in Hannah's time, everyone, or Hannah understood, and most people that understood anything about the Bible understood, that they are not faithful. And we've seen that all through Judges and all through Ruth. People Mm. fail. They are not faithful to the Lord. We can see even further in Psalm 53, where he espouses this out. Psalm 53 this is well known to us, but it's Paul's edition of it or quoting of it in Romans. Look at Psalm 53. Verse 1. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. 
They are all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So you see the dilemma here. The dilemma here is this. Hannah is describing two groups of people, one faithful group and one wicked group, right? And the wicked group will be sent into outer darkness and all are wicked, you see. So the question we have to beg here is how are all not sent into outer darkness? And how is there even any faithful ones, you see? If all have went their own way. See, we don't have this tension. This is tension in the Old Testament, you see. This tension of Hannah is speaking of faithful ones. None are faithful, you see. None are righteous. How can these things be? How can there be faithful ones that get these rewards? Are we not all wicked? Are we not all headed for judgment? One might look at that and say, well, yes, it's true, we've went our own way, but we can correct it. We can go back and we can do good enough things to, to correct our mistake. But to that, just, in, just back in our text, we can look in verse 9, and it answers that very question, that very objection there. Look what she says at the end of verse 9. For not by might shall a man prevail. Right. You see? So someone may say, well, yes, of course, all are in that wicked camp, but we can do something to turn it around, surely. Surely we can do enough good things in and of ourselves to turn this calamity around and not be cast into outer darkness. And to that, Hannah says, well, it's not by might that you'll prevail. If you think you're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're mistaken. You see, it's not something that you're going to do in and of yourself. You're not going to be able to correct your wickedness. So look, just, just let it bear on us for a moment here. I know we're in the New Covenant. We understand these things. But let it bear on us for a moment what her readers might have understood and what people standing by might have understood when she prayed this prayer. You see, God's revealing this to Hannah. You see something that might bear upon you. Hannah says all that are wicked are going to be cast into outer darkness. Well, I'm wicked. You see? That may be a great dilemma for someone in that time. You see? So what are we going to do? So she tells us that God is going to judge the wicked, right? He's going to cast them into outer darkness. You are wicked, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's right. You see? That's what's said. God is going to judge the wicked. You are wicked, and there's nothing you can do about it. So now let's answer this question. How is it that there is a faithful ones class if all are wicked and if all get judgment? It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ that these things can be said. I stress this because I want us to understand that even in the Old Testament, God was revealing these things to people, you see. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense for her to say, you're faithful ones and none are faithful. She didn't understand, understand all the inner workings of Christ, but this is what God is revealing to her. There will be faithful ones, and they're faithful not of their own deeds, not by might shall they prevail. They're faithful because of the deeds of Christ. Amen. You see. And so even in the Old Testament, there can be spoken of faithful ones thousands of years before Christ dies upon the tree. And what God speaks about them, it says that they believe God. Right. So they believe the promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was only in the promises of sin. Right. Yeah. We see something of election there. 
Absolutely. So even in the, the reason I want to stress this is because, and the reason we're going through Old Testament books like this is because they're neglected. People, and the majority of your Bible is the Old Testament. The majority of your Bible is the Old Testament. And it's books like this that are neglected and people see no worth in it. And I want us to see that God is revealing His truth in these. You see, to this simple woman. What beautiful truth this is. God's going to protect His faithful. He's going to judge the wicked. Right. That's a beautiful truth thousands of years before Christ. Right. You see, I want us to see that all these things find their root in Christ. I want us to see that we are the faithful ones because Christ is the faithful one. Right. You see, look in Revelation 19. Lots of disputes over this book, but one thing that I think all Christians should see and should understand is that the Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is a revealing of Him, you right. see, of His beauty. Look in 19 and 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Yeah. And in righteousness He judges and makes war. You see, Christ is the faithful. Yeah. Christ is the true. All else have gone their own way. But if you be found in Christ, you are faithful. Right. You are true. And you can be called one of these faithful ones. Mm -hmm. We see the Apostle Paul making this same connection. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Look how he addresses the church here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful. How? In Christ Jesus. You see. You are faithful, not in of yourself, because you are in Christ Jesus. You are a faithful one that Hannah spoke about all those, all those years ago because you be in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. You see, this is the sense in which we are faithful. This is how there can be faithful ones and wicked ones. You see, they're faithful not of their own merit, but of the merit of Christ. You see, this is this group of people that Hannah is talking about here. These are the faithful. Jesus is the faithful. All these things and all these promises that we find in the Old Testament, this is, the, this is how this is important. All these promises that we find in the Old Testament, right, to those who keep the covenant, to those who love God, they're all completed in Christ. Amen. They're all completed in Christ, you see. No man could do it. No man could do it. The Old Testament said what? Do this and live. None could do it. Therefore all deserve death and damnation. Christ came into this world and He completed the task and it was done. And because of that, these blessings that we find in the Old Testament, we can claim for ours. You see. Right. Because Christ is that true Son. Christ is the true Son, right? Israel was supposed to be a son to God. They failed. Christ is the true Son that comes and fulfills all these things. That's what 
Satan was getting about in, in Matthew 4. Remember Matthew 4? Let's just go there. Matthew 4. Jesus is led into the wilderness there. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So we see at the onset of Jesus' ministry, Satan comes to him, and he offers him something. He offers him the messianic inheritance. This is what it is, right? My, my Lord, uh, right, Psalm 1101. Right, right. He offered to him in a way that the Father had not prescribed. And so for him to take it (coughs) is to go against the Father's wishes. Mm -hmm. You see, he offered him the inheritance apart from the way that the Father had prescribed him to (coughs) inherit it. But we see that Jesus is faithful through it all. He shuns the devil through it all. But I want us to see that Satan's seen these Old Testament things as being rooted in Christ. Satan himself understood that. He tried to twist it, but he still understood it. He understood that those promises of protecting the feet were to Christ. You see, these promises of one that would protect your feet lest they be dashed upon the stone, it's it's to him. It's to Christ. And so he prescribes it to him and says, well, this not said, right? Jump, right? Tempt God in this way. But those things were about Christ. What he's referring to there is Psalm 91. Yes. Psalm 91. Let's just look at it together. This is what Satan is placing before Christ and saying, take this way instead of the Father's way. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that strikes in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand 
at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near to your tent. For you will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot, because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him and I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls on me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You see, Satan understood that these things that the psalmist wrote found the root in Christ. Who is the one that we see there in verse 14? He holds fast to me in love. That is Christ. That is Christ. None can say that of themselves. None can say that I've held fast to God in love. You see, that I've never went away. That I've always done His will. You see. Except Christ. Except the man Christ Jesus. Satan understood that. Right? And so trying to twist him, trying to get him to go another way, right? With this very scripture. But this scripture is blessings that are given to the one who is faithful, right? And none are faithful except for Christ. But all those that be found in Christ are the faithful. Right. These things can be said of them. The reason that we can say, right, he will protect our feet. It's because He protects Christ's feet. The reason that we can say, look in our text, it says, when He calls to me, I will answer Him. The reason that we can pray and expect God to answer us back is because of Christ. It's because of His faithfulness to the Father, you see. God doesn't hear the wicked. God doesn't hear the wicked. We are wicked. This is how we have hope that God hears us. Because He hears Christ, He hears you as well. You see, because just as Christ, you are a son, you are a daughter. All these things find their fulfillment in Christ. We don't think about it. The very reason that we can pray and expect something to happen. The very reason that we can come before God and worship weekly is all because of what Christ has done. It's all because of what Christ has accomplished. This true one that Psalm 91 speaks of is Christ Himself. He is the one, one and only one who holds fast to the Father. Right. The only one. <clears throat> so let's look in verse 10 of our text. It's important for us to see these big pictures. These big pictures. Jesus speaking to the two that were on the Emmaus Road spoke in the Law and the Prophets about yeah. what? Himself. All the things concerning Himself. Yeah. You see, all these things are, are Christ. Are Christ. And if you don't have Christ, let me tell you, church, you don't understand the Old Testament. There's a big, there's a big thing going on with a, with a Jewish man, uh, Ben Shapiro, fighting with one of his colleagues. I don't know if one of you guys has seen it. She's a Christian, he's not. And there's a big thing going on uh, because of her quoting Scripture of the New Testament and things of that nature. 
understand this. I've seen where they've you know, held seminars and things of that nature. They've brought rabbis in. and They've brought all these teachers in that know Hebrew and know all these things. But understand this. If you don't have Christ, you don't understand what the Old Testament's about. I don't care how much Hebrew you know. I don't care how Jewish you are. If you don't have Christ, you don't understand what the Old Testament is about. Okay? I don't say that to be mean. I say that to show people the way. Because if you read the Old Testament apart from Christ, you're blind. You're groping at the walls. You don't understand. All these things are rooted in Him. Yes, it's all that. He's what all these things are about. We have to understand that. So any reading of the Old Testament that doesn't end... Now don't get me wrong, I don't think... You know, some people, they want to see Christ in every, you know, sentence and things like that. He's all over the Old Testament. Don't get me wrong. Um, But any interpretation, final interpretation that we have of Scripture, of the Old Testament, of anything really, that doesn't end with Christ is a false interpretation. That's right. Okay. You've seen lots of people, right? They say, we'll get there. But when they get to David and they say, oh, great, David, that's me. (laughs) No, it's not. No, it's not. You're not David. No. You see, you're not David. That is Christ. Christ is the one who crushes the head. Christ is the one who conquers, you see. It's all about Him. It's important for us to understand. These are big themes here, but like I said before, they're important. Anyway, back to our text. Verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed so we see that hannah goes from there to the fact that god will judge there will be judgment something that was very important in hannah's day because why she's living the time of judges right right it's anarchy yeah it's anarchy so she's saying like we've seen before she had rooted god's God's knowledge in judgment. She comes back again toward the end here and she tells us that the adversaries of the Lord will be broken to pieces, right? He will speak against them. He'll thunder in heaven. We can live this life. This is, this is why we have to understand this. In the same way that Hannah lived in a society that was godless, so do we. Mm-hmm. So do we. Right. But we have to understand this. The reason that we can have hope for the future and the reason that we can continue on daily is that we understand that all these wrongs will be right. You see, yeah. God will come back and He will judge all these uh, wrongdoings that have been done and there will indeed be judgment. And so, we don't have to vindicate ourselves. We understand that when God comes, when God judges, He will vindicate us. Right. You see, you don't have to go out here and try to uh, seek justice left and right although we should but we'll never seek it completely but we don't have to worry about iniquity that goes unpunished because god sees all and god will judge all you see and so we can live in this society that we live in just like hannah and have hope for the future the apostle paul goes along the same lines when he speaks of people that were wanting to judge each other in in the roman church church in rome there Look in uh, 14, Romans 14. Romans 14:10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
O you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So that each of us will give account of himself to God. See what the Apostle Paul is saying there? You don't have to constantly be worried right, about all these things, about these injustices, right? Because God is going to judge, you see. There are secret things that no one will ever know about, you see. And those seemingly on this earth go unpunished. But God, in the fulfillment of all things, will judge, you see. Everything will be brought to right. So we can have hope in that. We see in our text that this is not just a judgment of a nation, right? What does Hannah say there? To the ends of the earth, Mm -hmm. right? So Hannah's seen this big picture of what Yahweh, what God is going to do. He's not just going to judge Israel for our iniquity, but He's going to judge to the ends of the earth. He's going to judge this whole world. He's going to come back and all these uh, deeds of the pagans, all these deeds of people even outside of the camp of Israel will be judged righteously by God Himself. Now, we want to see again in our text that this judgment is rooted in this anointed one. This judgment that Hannah sees brought out. Let's just go back to our text there. <coughs> First Samuel 2. It says, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And see, this is the way in which He does that in the bottom half of 10. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. You see, this is the way that God judges through His King. That's what we've been looking for. All through Judges, what were we looking for? There was no uh, king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is this king, you see. This king that's going to come and fulfill all these things. It's going to keep the covenant indefinitely. This is him. This is God's anointed, you see. She says God's anointed. Two uh, basic groups, there could be more, but two basic groups we can see in the Old Testament that were anointed was kings and priests. Right. Kings and priests. And the one that Hannah speaks of here is both. Yes, he is. He's both. And more. He fulfills both of these offices. He is the Lord's king. He is the Lord's anointed. He is the one who will judge the ends of the earth. He is the one who will come. And unlike these old judges, unlike these old kings, unlike these old rulers, he will keep the covenant indefinitely for his people. Mm -hmm. You see? This is the greater man. Well, we've spoken of before that uh, these great things, just the beauty of the Old Testament, the beauty of the Bible, is that these great and majestic things are revealed to simple people. Right? right? Very simple people. This simple woman, Hannah, who was a barren lady in this small tribe of Israel, you see. God has revealed these great things to her, you see, about His majesty, about His sovereignty. That's a beautiful beautiful thing but as we close today i want us to see one more one more simple girl who an angel came to by night and revealed these marvelous things to her you see this simple girl who was in israel who that was under the siege of the romans who seemed to be of no significance this angel comes to and he says 
You're going to bear a child, mm-hmm. and he will be the Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen. You see. And so look with me in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. After visiting with Elizabeth there, who also was having a baby, John the Baptist, Mary uh, sings this song of praise, or prays this prayer, if you will. Look in 46. And I want you to look at the connection here. Look at the connection. Mary understanding her Old Testament, right? And hearing it in the synagogues would have understood that Hannah, that barren lady, understood that one would come that king and that anointed one, and that he would set all things right. Right. You see. And so working off of that, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, look at this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Yeah. You see you see the same comparisons? You see as if everything to collide in one and Mary to say that the person who was hungry but fed, the person who was of low estate but was brought near, was all written down for this one purpose, that the angel would come to me and that I would have this child and that he would come into the world and fulfill all these things. All these things that generations had spoke of. Look there. Spoke to the fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. All these things all the way back to Abraham that was said. Right? Even Moses himself we had looked at. Looked for the one who was greater than he. All these things come to one single point. Where is it? Is it in the, is it in the king, kingdom? Is it in the castle? No. It's with this little girl. Right? Barely a woman, Right? This small young girl, Mary, who's going to bear a child, right? This barren womb who would not bear, right? Except in all those other instances, right? They had a husband. They were just barren. But now, all that comes to the pinnacle of the virgin whose womb will bear the child. You see, a truly barren womb. You see, that's the womb that will bear the child that will fulfill all these things. And thousands of years before, Hannah prays this prayer before the the tabernacle. She exalts all this glory to God and all these things are fulfilled in Mary. Well, I just want to say this and we'll end. This week, lots of people will gather around tables. They'll gather with family. And they'll say something of thankfulness. They'll say something of what they're thankful for. All the things we have in this world that God gives us, they're great. I thank God for His blessings.
But understand this. For us, as God's people, the greatest thing that we can be thankful for is Christ coming in flesh, being incarnate, living the perfect life you could not live as the faithful one, dying upon the tree the death you deserved, and raising again, being rose again by the Father. That way He may intercede for you eternally. You see? Think on those things. Think on those things. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for what we see in Christ. We thank You for the treasury that we find there. Let us always, God, the kingdoms of this world come and fall, the riches may gain or lose, let us all find our worth, let us all find value in the man Christ Jesus. It is Him we seek to glorify now. And amen. Amen.